Thanks for joining us, everyone. This episode of Skirmish Supremacy is brought to you again by Death Ray Designs. You can check out all their awesome products for all your wargaming terrain and basing needs at deathraydesigns.com. Do not forget to check out their Kickstarter. Uh, right now, they're running a, a dual Kickstarter. It is uh, Black Sight X and Rapid Vanguard. Perfect terrain for your 40K games, your Infinity games, or any other type of sci-fi game in between. You can check that out at kickstarter.com and look up Black Sight X. That's Black S-I-T-E-X. You can find it right in there. They're about halfway through and halfway funded. They could definitely use your support. This episode is also brought to you by my local gaming store, Gigabytes Cafe, located here in the metro Atlanta area. If ever you're in town and you want to go in for one of the best gaming places in the area and you're hungry and you want to get a sandwich, you want to get a coffee, you can get it all there. On top of that, you could buy just about anything else you want from role-playing games, board games, miniatures, hobby supplies, and I can go on and on and on all day, but we don't have that much time. Thanks for uh, tuning back in to Skirmish Supremacy. Stay tuned for the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. I am here today with Death Ray Designs owner and uh, creator, Austin Thompson. Austin, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Tim? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. So we're trying something a little different uh, for my listeners out there. So if this episode sounds a little odd, I apologize. But uh, the speakers and uh, the microphone recording on my typical laptop setup is being an asshole. So we're actually doing this from my phone, which seems to be working okay so far. So we're going to roll with it. So uh, anyway, kind of going on past that, Austin, uh, tell everybody a little bit about your business and a little bit about your Kickstarter we've got going on. I know I've been peddling it the last couple of episodes and uh, trying to do my best to get everybody to go and check out all of your awesome shit. But uh, let's hear it from the actual creator's mouth. All right. So uh, Death Ray Designs is a rename of our our former incarnation, which is Brush for Hire. Uh, Brush for Hire was started as a YouTube channel that morphed into a commission painting service that morphed into making terrain and game accessories. And we found that a lot of people were really, um, what, I guess confused, or people who weren't super familiar with our our product line just assumed that we were only uh, commission painting. So we said, you know what? You're right. Brush for Hire does sound like and so we, um, we we came up with a name, and it took us a while to actually uh, uh, do the full rebrand. But we decided that during our Kickstarter campaign was the best time because it would be one of the times that we'd be most in contact with our our community. And uh, so 
uh, line is the Blacksite X line, which is a lot of modular catwalks and platforms. And uh, we really wanted it to be as user-friendly as possible. We wanted pieces to go together easily, be stable, and still be able to be taken apart quickly without damaging the terrain, uh, trying to, you know, press fit a whole lot of parts together. Uh, we spent a lot of time working on the mechanics behind that and, and making sure that it was going to be as easy and fun to use as possible, you know, and, and make sure that it looks good, too. So that's uh, where we are now. Um, right now, as of the recording of this, we're at about 13000 out of our 20000 goal. I feel pretty confident we're going to we're gonna hit funding, and uh, we keep releasing a handful of cool new things uh, a couple times a week to, to keep people interested and uh, really uh, keep it lively. Awesome. Well, to be honest with you, man, I'm really excited. I, I've, you know, obviously I've been a fan of yourself for a long time. We've known each other for quite a while. So yeah, to anybody listening, there is a bit of a bias to this because of the fact that I know Austin. So um, whatever, you're going to deal with it. Uh, <laughs> but seriously though, he, he makes great terrain. So anybody listening, definitely check out his Kickstarter. I know that you've heard it. I've, you've heard me plug it every single episode first, you know, sponsorship that I, I plug out there. Um, so this episode is just giving you guys more of a, uh, an in-depth look at what he's got going on instead of just listening to my ass talk about it the whole time. So, um, you were talking a little, a little bit about the black site X and you were talking a little bit about the, uh, the rapid Vanguard. And I know that you and I were talking a little bit ago, you said you've got some more stretch goals coming out. Do you, uh, do you want to give any spoilers as to what you have planned in the near future? Benefits of both of these 
Nice, nice. Yeah, I know you and I were just talking about that just before we started on the uh, podcast. So, um, so you've got uh, you've got all the additionals planned. Um, I know that uh, one of the big things that has been key for me and uh, pretty huge, I think, for a lot of people out there, especially if anybody who's listening to this owns a game store, is the fact that you are actually really supporting the idea of a retail-driven Kickstarter. So you actually have a package on there for retailers, and I think that's exceedingly important, especially since a lot of retailers are now looking at Kickstarter as something that's uh, bad. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, that's that's a great, great start to uh, getting stores back into trusting people who are doing a Kickstarter. Because ultimately, I mean, you don't sound like you're doing this for a cash grab. And since I know you well enough, I know you're not doing it for a cash grab. You know, this is for you in the long term. Right. Uh, our goals with this Kickstarter, um, you know, I've gotten lots of comments uh, on, on Facebook and other social media about um, basically why are, why are you doing this as a Kickstarter? I want it right now. Um, you know, that, that's a typical thing to see from people who are excited about your product. Is they want it sooner, so they're going to question your decision-making, uh, which is fine. Um, that, that's their prerogative. But we really are um, doing, uh, doing this for, in, in my opinion, all the right reasons, as opposed to uh, what you have deemed as a cash grab. Um, Kickstarter, in my opinion, in this type of crowdfunding, uh, is is all about trying to do something bigger. And we're not just releasing products and using it as a pre-order system. We're really trying to do something that otherwise would be cost prohibitive for us to do, or would take much longer to do. And we think that the community might want to see benefits from this idea earlier. Uh, and that idea is that we would like to buy a whole bunch of new equipment that's going to make us faster and be able to reduce more terrain, which means that we can keep costs on those get down, which means that we can pass some of that on to the customer. And our profit margin can be large enough that we can sell to distribution, which means our products in stores near our customers, and they don't have to worry about, uh, you know, ship time or paying for shipping uh, or, or any of that mess. It'll be right there. They can go and pick it up um, in their in their local shops, and we at that point be supporting the local shops. Um, and like you mentioned before, we do have a pledge level for retailers, as I think that's super important. Um, retailers right now, from what I understand, they hate Kickstarter. They hate Kickstarter for so many very good reasons. Um, You've got companies who do all their pre-ordering through Kickstarter for all their new products, which means that they're direct selling at a huge discount to all their customers. So I can't tell you the number of times that I've bought into Kickstarters and realized after the fact that I have so very much more than I could ever use in any game. So I'm giving it away to all my friends. I'm like, hey, come play this game with me. I have four whole armies. I don't know why I bought all these. They were just cheap, and I bought them. Uh, so that's not only me that's not buying anything because I have enough. That's probably three other people who now have enough stuff to play. So you don't even get that secondary hit from people are getting interested, and they're going to get their friends interested. Because as soon as they get interested, I'm just going to give or sell my excess stuff to them, uh, which takes away from you know the, the, the retail market. Uh, you got everything direct sell at a 
market's flooded with this stuff, and uh, nobody nobody's interested in going to their stores and finding more stuff. Right. Um, so not only are we not uh, what doing um, what and not not doing this for for what I consider to be the wrong reasons, uh, we also want to include stores in this so they can get. Uh, they can get these products on their shelves at the same time that everybody else is getting their stuff. Um, and to be honest, we're not big enough to even really worry about ruining the retail market for our products right now. I mean, realistically, you know, we're going to sell uh, a good amount of this on Kickstarter. Um, but I think that uh, from my experience where a lot of people don't know who we are and haven't seen our products yet, and when they do, they like them. And when they like them, they have a fair chance of buying them. Um, you know, our, our market share is so small compared to some of the, the big boys, uh, you know, Simon, Mantic, uh, all of the other game companies that are just huge right now. You know, they, they reach tons of people, whereas we reach some, um, which is fine. We're still growing, and I accept that that is, that is a part of, of doing business. We're a much younger company than uh, than the, the big boys in the industry at the moment, um, so we still have some growing to do. And uh, but it, you know, all that to to say, um, I'm not sure if there's anything that we can do that would ruin our retail market uh, at the moment, unless we just out of nowhere got a million dollars, which you know I wouldn't argue with, but I don't think it's very likely. Yeah, that's very true. I, you know, I. Uh, I've had my struggles with Kickstarters over the years when it comes time to uh, the cash grab. And, you know, I, I know to any of my listeners out there that, uh, you know, you probably listened to the last couple episodes. I had Awaken Realms on just this previous one. And I've got some other people coming up with uh, Kickstarters in the next few episodes. And I always seem to ask them the same question. You know, what do you plan on doing after the Kickstarter's done? You know, do you do you plan on supporting the local retailers. Do you have local retailers right now that are excited about your product and are helping promote it? Um, you know, do you have a plan as to how you're going to get it into distribution? So, you know, I ask a lot of those questions just from, you know, working in the gaming industry and seeing so many companies that start a Kickstarter and they're so Kickstarter focused that a lot of retailers and distributors just stop trusting them. So, you know, I always, especially with the smaller independent guys like yourself, um, you know, I, my thought is, is I want to see you guys grow. You know, obviously the whole purpose of the podcast is to get your voices out there. So people know who you are, so you can become eventually one of the big guys. So I always, I always try to, uh, make sure that, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm coaching you guys into doing it the right way, but I definitely want to see you guys have that lasting, you know, staying power. So as far as that goes for me, it really comes down to making sure that the local retailers trust you and the local retailers are carrying your product and that, you know, they, they almost make you one of their standards when it comes time to either miniatures or terrain or whatever else you, you're making at the time that you're using in the store. So to me, it's, right. it's really key. So, you know, again, kudos to you for going out of your way and making sure that there is something like that for the distributors and, you know, the retailers. Um, so, you know, if, if you guys are out there listening and you are looking at backing Austin's stuff, you're looking at ordering some stuff from Death Ray Designs, 
remember to ask at your local retailer too, because once this Kickstarter is over, as Austin says in the beginning video, which you guys should go and watch, uh, you know, he definitely talks about the fact that he wants to get this into your local retailers. So the more you start asking your local retailers for his stuff now, the sooner he will be able to uh, go ahead and get stuff cut for distribution so that way you can pick it up at a game store instead of ordering it from him directly. Not that he minds either way, but ordering it from the game store means that he is going to have more longevity overall. Right. Even though, you know, everybody, every person you add into the process, um, you know, takes, takes a little bit of the profits, um, it's, it's better to have a retail store in the mix because they've got face time with, you know, way more people. Um, than than just one, you know, it, it, having having one good customer that is a an individual gamer or hobbyist, and having one customer that is a store, even though the store is buying for much you know lower prices, they're going to be buying in a huge volume compared to to uh, an individual customer, at least you know in most cases. I'm sure there are exceptions on both sides. Oh yeah, of course. mentioned quite a few quite a few things about the kickstarter so you know you, you're still a fairly new company i know you've been around for four years you're still getting the name out there why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that death ray designs has to offer right now on the website Uh, we uh, we we made essentially a, a hard uh, 
reinforce it of corners on the edges and everything. Um, but uh, I love being able to do things like that where we find a way to kind of uh, you know take take a, a non damaging shortcut that um, that ends up saving customers tons of money. Because looking around, you know, I was looking to see like, okay, shipping containers, what do they cost? Uh, and everywhere they were, you know, ten dollars or more for the most part. And you know, even even with our in city stuff that is very shipping container shaped, you know, they were ten to fourteen dollars a piece. And you need lots of shipping containers for a cool, you know, shipping depot board or something. So we figured this thing out and ended up being able to produce them in in packs for uh, five dollars. Uh, you know, they came out to be five dollars a piece in the pack. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I always like talking about those ones because <laughs> I have a lot of fun working out all the problems, and I think they, they turn out really well. Um, so aside from our in-city things, uh, which is all sort of clean, high-tech sci-fi stuff, um, I guess depending on how you paint it, um, we also have Rust Point, which is one of one of our our favorites at the moment. Um, not necessarily our favorites, but our customers' favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with a name that with a name that amazing, I mean, it's kind of hard. <laughs> Full disclosure: Tim came up with that name. I don't um, know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, Rust Point is a a set of shanty town terrain. That was uh, at least within the the laser cut terrain industry, I guess. Um, Within, within that community, I couldn't find anything that was really particularly uh, shantytown looking. So we developed this line, and it's it's pretty it's a pretty simple line, but it's made to have lots of customizability when you're building it. Um, all the buildings are a little off kilter. Um, none of them, none of the angles are quite right angles, and um, you have kind of an MDF shell that has some panel lines cut into it to make it look like a whole bunch of uh, boards of plywood or something stuck together. And then there's a whole bunch of detail that you layer on top of that. You get a little sheet of detail like windows and doors and metal stripping and all kinds of other things. And then a sheet of corrugated plastic um, or plastic that looks like corrugated steel. And so you just cut that up into whatever kind of chunks you want and glue that on. And, you know, after you do all that, you have a really nice layered detailed building. Um, and I think almost every kit in the line is $11 or less a piece. And it's big, chunky buildings. Uh, we also have a whole bunch of scatter train with that that I really enjoy. Um, we got, uh, it's going to sound like just <laughs> silly mundane stuff, but I don't know, something so satisfying about it is that scale. Uh, bricks and cinder blocks, um, pallets and uh, piles of tires and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, very, very post-apocalyptic, almost Mad Max feeling at times. Uh, but uh, I think that it goes really well with the, the shanty town. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I've I've liked about a lot of your terrain and you and I have talked about it numerous times on the phone in the past is the fact that, uh, you know, I, for me, MDF terrain, I, I've been less than impressed with it. Um, 
I know I'm probably going to get some some hate comments over this, but most MDF terrain I've been very very unimpressed with, and a lot of it does come from the fact that, you know, I've uh, I've done commission building on terrain in the past, so I always look at something and if and go, okay, so if I just paid, you know, even forty bucks for what is essentially when I back up a foot and a half away from the table, a wooden box, it has no texture, it has, um you know, no real date detail outside of the etching. I have a hard time with that because I look, look at that and go, wow. So I just paid 30 bucks for a wooden shoe box with an extra strip at the top and a little bit of etching design and uh, yeah. fantastic. So I could have spent 30 bucks on a new pair of shoes and gotten a nice pair of shoes to stand comfortably and gotten my terrain piece. So wow, that's getting, getting harsh. It, it is, it is, uh, but MDF has come a long way, and, uh, you know, I, I know that's one of the things you and I have talked about quite a bit is that those tiny details, that those little bits of extra texture is what really brings those to life. Like, at the end of the day, any piece of terrain you buy is a box. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a GW kit. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a resin kit. It is a, a box or a blocky thing in the middle of the table. The difference between the plastic and the resin kits is they have the texture built into it. MDF, you can't really do that, so you have to add layers in order to give it that texture. So having those little details like you put in there really helps it out. Yeah. I mean, that's always been one of our, our chief concerns when designing new kids. Uh, is more than even texture is silhouette. Uh, does it look like a big square? Um, you know, if, if it's starting to look a little too square, you know, we got to figure out some way to, to either – round it out and make it more interesting, make it, you know, a little bit more uh, misshapen or at least a more, uh, what, recognizable sort of silhouette. Um, we, I mean, because honestly, when it comes to MDF terrain, there's a lot of detail you can do, uh, but sometimes you just come up against that wall where you're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to do something very optical illusion-y to, to make this work. Um, and to be honest, there's a lot you can do within that realm. Oh, yeah. Stuff that we did for, um, for Rapid Vanguard, you know, we, we did have, or we do have uh, layers of, of material that give it raised surface detail, um, which is nice, but also we concentrated a lot on the silhouette. And having all the buttresses on the, you know, the sci-fi gothic stuff gives you the ability to kind of shape the perception of the building through silhouette, even though a lot of the walls are still vertical. Um, you can you can manipulate it to look not boxy by having pieces jutting out of it that help help you make your viewer's eye think that there's more there than there is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know it's not it's not this isn't a trick. It's not a, a, a prank we're pulling or some kind of a practical joke. This is you know this is the way that aesthetics work. I mean, this is the way that architecture works and, and sculpture. Uh, you're, you're trying to lead the, the, the viewer's eye to where you want it to go. Um, and we take that kind of approach with our terrain, which may sound a little overwrought, like we're thinking that our terrain is some kind of high art. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're applying the principles that, that we, we know from other areas. 
surface is impossible. You got no, if you got no detail sticking up, and there's nothing to catch the paint as the brush goes over it. Um, it just it, it becomes almost impossible at that point. So having raised detail gives you back one of the the tools that I think is is probably in every every hobbyist tool belt, especially you know one of the early ones that you learn is dry brushing. Definitely. I mean, that's one thing I've noticed with a lot of the terrain companies out there is they always show their stuff with like a lot of gorgeous, you know, blends and highlights. And you look at it and go, that was done with an airbrush. Well, that's cool, but not everybody out there, especially if they're just getting started into the hobby or if they just don't have space or just haven't wanted to learn, don't have access to an airbrush. And not everybody wants to, you know, paint in that way. So having a kit that allows people to use their standard brushes without having to do some fancy, uh, I guess, you know, adding texture where there is none is yeah. uh, really important. I promise everybody, he has not been drinking. That we're doing this at about uh, eleven twenty-six Eastern time, so yeah, in a half so, hour maybe. That's the way we do things in the yeah. south. Yeah, <laughs> there's no there's no accounting for uh, for time of day. So, um, <laughs> okay, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something uh, that you know may sound insane. Uh, I I like to take a page from GW's book on on one particular aspect now uh, if you recall back in the 90s and 80s um, at least to the degree of what was what was considered amazing paint job at that point um, box art um, tend to be uh, really over overwrought overblown um, and they, they've done some really incredible stuff that would be very difficult for your average hobbyist to do um, yes. in the same way I feel like
<laughs> we've got too much stuff going on. We all have uh, full-time jobs. So you you know you you want to give them the ability to take five minutes, learn something new, and then go to town. So I know that uh, with some of your kits, you've actually released some videos showing people how to paint it up quickly with rattle cans. Yeah. Yeah. You, sure. you have that. Uh, do you have that linked to Death Ray Designs, or is that just up on your separate YouTube channel? It is. It is on the Brush for Hire YouTube channel. I'm not really sure what we're gonna do with that channel yet. I don't think it's going anywhere. We can't really change the name on it. Um, but we're also retaining the Brush for Hire name for all of our painting stuff anyway. So. If we're doing a lot of painting things, you might as well just keep the channel on brush for hire. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, we, we have, um, we have, I think, 
That's true. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, you filming the Rust Point set, that's actually news to me. Um, so when should we expect that one up online? Honestly, I'm probably not going to get to it until after the Kickstarter is done. So probably at least three or four weeks from now. Okay. So as much as he just got everybody out there listening excited about watching another one of his <laughs> videos, he decided to take all your hopes and dreams and dash them against the rocks because apparently he's an asshole. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so, I am. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, it's totally cool, man. I understand because I know that uh, right now, after you've been uh, talking with our buddy Derek, um, which, you know, spoiler alert for anybody who's listening, Derek will be on here at some point uh, talking and babbling and going on about stuff. Um, Derek worked with me over at Cool Mini or Not, and he definitely knows his way around kickstarters in the gaming industry so he's probably one of the biggest experts on it when it comes time to that in the united states so um you know usually if you have any type of advice he's the guy to talk to and you should really listen to him um so you know taking taking derek's advice i know austin has been spending the last what would you say probably this last week just really whoring out his product all over the interwebs. It doesn't matter if it's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. yeah handing out flyers in the local neighborhood. <laughs> it's, it's been almost another full-time job on top of everything else. Just doing all the, the social media press stuff. Um, you know, once I got it rolling, it wasn't so bad, but coming up with all the templates for images and figuring out what hashtags to use on Instagram, um, you know, it, it took a little while. Uh, I'm sure that all of you hip cats out there are already on the Instagram and know all about it, but I would never bother with it until this past week because, I don't know, I just it never seemed that appealing until I realized, like, oh, it's a, it's a picture-sharing service, and I can, I can share pictures of these products. That would be neat. And then I did it, and it was cool. But... <laughs> uh, <laughs> we sound like a couple uh, of old bastards. I know. You I'm damn not, kids with your Instagram and your pictures and shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like until until I really started going, uh, you know, all in on on Brush for Hire now Death Designs. Social media was um, it, it wasn't very important to me. Um, and honestly, through the necessity of using social media to promote our business and do all kinds of other things. I've, I've been able to keep up with so much more of the community stuff and with a lot of my friends who don't live, you know, locally near me. Um, and it's actually, it's actually been a really surprising uh, and, and pleasant experience for the most part. You know, you get, you get crazy Facebook stuff going on every once in a while. But, um, you know, I get, to, I get to chat with a lot of my friends that normally I would only see at conventions and things. So. 
yeah, that is definitely the plus of social media. You know, because uh, we're we're far past the days of writing letters to one another and asking, you know, how are things going for a month at a time. Now we can just pick up a phone or see it on social media. You know, yeah. I'm surprised. Um, honestly, kind of switching topics here, getting away from your Kickstarter a little bit, but uh, surprised you haven't been picture- posting pictures of your Friday night game nights. Exactly. Join the Me Too crowd. I mean, sure. Yeah, no. I mean, I haven't. I can't tell you the last time I actually sat down and played a game where I wasn't like learning a new system or, you know, something along those lines. It, uh, my game time lately has been taken up with uh, lots and lots and lots of model prep and painting. I just my my game time has been nil. So yes, if I get a chance to live vicariously through you, who every Friday night games. Shit, man, I'd do yeah. it. Um, well, like this past Friday, I played probably the longest game of Infinity ever. Um, I, back in the, you know, 2000s, um, I got uh, my younger brother, Harrison, involved in Warhammer 40K. Um, and he really enjoyed it. He, he played, uh, you know, Chaos Space Marines. And, you know, we, kind of went our separate ways on it. I, I kind of stopped playing, and then he said, well, you know, if you're not playing, then, you know, I'm going to find something else to do. Um, and, you know, he he went out and did, uh, you know, completely other stuff, became a, an auto mechanic and moved on with his life. Uh, and I just kind of uh, got stuck in Wargaming forever because I love it, and I wouldn't do anything else if I, if I could. Um, but... Uh, recently, I've been able to rope him back into playing war games, and the one that caught his eye, um, partly because I, I kind of led him to it, because I wanted more people to play with, uh, is Infinity. And uh, we we started doing some playtesting. He's trying to figure out a list, and uh, we're going to get him an army. Um, he's leaning towards Ariadna. And back when I started playing Ariadna, um, in, like, I guess it was second ed, um, I didn't have a whole lot of success with them, and part of it was because I was dumb and didn't know how to use them. Um, but For any of you listening one, out there, that is usually the case with, uh, if you have not played Infinity, that is usually the case, you're probably, I'd say, five, ten games. You're going to feel like a complete idiot until you <laughs> learn everything that that army does, because there's so right. much stuff that they can, can and cannot do. Right. I mean... For Ariadna, I mean, the way he played it, it was uh, everything is camo and um, cheap special weapons. So bringing three sniper rifles and uh, 17 orders or something like that um, in, in two groups and just lots and lots of camo. I think it was at least six camo guys plus uh, a, a camo antipode assault squad. Yeah. Um, it, it was... It was pretty brutal, um, and uh, I was taking a more elite list, so they just swarmed the shit out of me, uh, but it was fun. I, I still ended up winning through scenario. We were playing some of the new uh, 2016 ICS uh, missions, and this one was the, oh man, I can't remember the name of the mission now, but it's the one with, <clears throat> excuse me, three uh, antennas right down. 
but <laughs> us struggling with, uh, you know, learning new armies in Infinity, I don't know if that would make for, for super interesting media. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know what people like. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only one way to find out, and that's to put it out there. Expose your nakedness to the rest of the internet, Austin Thompson. And by nakedness, I mean your playing of small models on tables, you bunch of perverts. But, uh, right. yeah, I would uh, – that's what I would do, man. Honestly, if if I was playing more games, I would probably be doing it a lot more. My my biggest problem right now is I'm not playing a ton of games, mainly because I don't have time. Um, I can respect that. <laughs> so um, once I get all this stuff painted, um, I know I, I talked about it on first episode for any of you that are, are listening and you're wondering what the hell it is I'm talking about. I got a lot of stuff going on on my desk right now, so once I get all this stuff painted, yes, I'll be playing a hell of a lot more games. However, I just need to get there. Um, so you guys have been playing quite a bit of Infinity. Uh, I know you guys mentioned you are looking at getting back into 40k, but uh, you were dabbling along the lines of Kill Team. Yeah, um, I'm I'm much more interested in the skirmish game these days, uh, with very few exceptions. Kings of War is uh, definitely a, a large-scale game that has my interest at the moment, mostly because of how fast and easy it is to play. Um, you know, you could you could have a game of Kings of War uh, wrapped up inside of an hour easy, um, if everybody knows what they're doing, especially. Um, and also, uh, you know, not to just go on a, a, a mantic tear here, but I'm also really interested in the new rule set that they just released for Fireteam, which is the, the mid-tier uh, uh, what is it, Dead Zone uh, game. You've got, uh, what is it, uh, Dead Zone is the tiny little game. Firefight is the, the medium-sized game that's more akin to, like, 40K. And then you have um, the Warpath. Is that the name of the full-size game now? Yes. Um, and you have Warpath up at the top, which is more like an apocalypse game, but it's played with the same kind of fast-paced rule set that Kings of War is played by. So you've got you know groups of things activating at a time and moving potentially on movement trays. Um, it, it looked like from from their their uh, previews of things that they were going to be on essentially card-sized movement trays, almost like uh, if you if you ever played any like. 10 millimeter or 16 millimeter um, World War II uh, games like uh, Flames of War, you've got multiple infantry on a stand. Think about that, except bring it up to 28 millimeter scale. So you're moving whole stands of infantry around at a time instead of individual models position. Right. Which I think is pretty interesting, and I don't know if it's really been done at that scale before. Um, None that I can I'm, remember. None that I can remember as far as games go, but uh, if any of you out there listening know of any games that uh, 28 to that 32 millimeter scale that actually, that's not a fantasy game. So I'll throw that out there now because everyone's going to go, well, that's easy, that's Warhammer Fantasy. Um, of more of a, a near future or futuristic game that actually puts 28 millimeter models on a movement tray, um, definitely let me know. Either uh, comment on our Facebook page or uh, comment on our actual uh, podcast.com page and uh, let me know because I'd definitely be interested in knowing more about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, those, those are definitely the, the games that I'm interested in that, uh, that aren't uh, super small. 
those stories. Um, but uh, I, I think the problem really is um, the sort of sprawling game style that has become the norm for it um, just is, is absolutely wildly unbalanced. And that's, that doesn't mean new to anybody. Uh, but uh, I think I think that through uh, house ruling and through a smaller gameplay size, it wouldn't be impossible to make that game something that I could really love again. And uh, you know, I don't I don't want to dislike any game. I want to like everything. It's just a matter of you know, is it is it good enough for me to like? And you know, forty k has for for all of its its beautiful blemishes, uh, they are still blemishes. Um, they uh, they they really they've let uh, Power Creek go to a, a an unholy level. <laughs> it, it's become the norm now. So if a codex doesn't come out and or comes out and it doesn't blow absolutely everything else out of the water, people are upset at this point because that's what they're used to. Right. Um, New hotness trumps all. Yeah, I mean, you got people who are buying whatever the new army is, regardless of whether they want it or not, because they want to win games. And, you know, that's great for GW's bottom line, but it's not very good for player retention. Because, you know, somebody somebody actually coughs up the money to, to buy something, and by the time they get it assembled and painted and everything, even if they bought the brand newest new thing since New Camp Newtown when they bought it, uh, you know, by the time it's already ready to go, um, you know, there's already two or three codexes out. And now, you know, you've got... It's basically just wait till it comes back around to you again, um, which honestly doesn't take as long as it used to. It used to be, you know, six years in between codex releases for a particular faction, <laughs> and so, now it's like six months. <laughs> yeah, well, tell that to Orc players right now. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you play any Imperium stuff, there's a, there is a new hotness coming out like every other month. I mean, it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Because uh, I actually... Yeah, I was going to say, I actually, just the other day, I was popping around on the GW website, and I was looking at the Skitari, because I was wondering, yeah. like, who the hell are these guys? Um, So, fair warning to everybody out there, I know enough about GW's, um, or the 40K's backstory. Um, I am a, a diehard Dark Angels player, and I've always loved the fluff. But uh, the new stuff that's come out, I'd say in the last year, year and a half, I haven't really had a chance to catch up on. So when people were mentioning the Skatari, I was wondering who, the, what the hell they were talking about. I thought it was an alien race, and uh, I was horribly wrong when I went on the website and uh, saw that. So, you know, forgive me for sounding like a moron, but uh, I've just, I haven't been paying that much attention. And so when I finally saw them, I was like, wow, these guys look really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's... That is kind of the army that I've been waiting to see for quite some time now. Uh, you know, I bought a, a good number of them when they came out. Um, we were in the middle of doing a 40K slow grow league at the time when they came out, and um, I, I kind of went all in on them. Um, I didn't honestly buy that much points-wise, but, you know, I have 40 or 50 of the infantry and a couple of the walkers and things. Um, but... Uh, yeah, for, for those of you who may know them by a better name, this is one of the branches of the Adeptus Mechanicus. So you've got lots of tech priest looking 
APIs and lots of cool technology and uh, they're just really awesome looking models. Um, and they've got lots of cool powers too. They just don't have a whole lot of options when it comes to different types of infantry or different types of units. I think every every uh, force organization slot in this Guitari book only has two options and they have no HQ because they are um, designed by committee essentially. Wow. Okay. So I didn't know that. That's, that's news yeah. to me. Cause I remember looking at the models and uh, just reading some of the fluff that they have, you know, obviously in the descriptors. Um, it seemed to me like the Skatari were very much like this uh, Mechanicum army that was like anything you can do, I can do better. I just don't have a lot of it. Yeah. Um, well, there's, there's two branches to the, the Admech army right now. You've got the uh, Cult Mechanicus and you've got the Skatari. And the Cult Mechanicus are the more mechanized guys, and the Skatari are the more infantry-heavy guys. Um, and, you know, you can ally them together, and putting them together into one army makes it feel like it's it's a little bit more of a filled-out kind of force org thing. Um, I'm not as well-versed on Cult Mechanicus because I don't really play any of those. It's all Skatari for me. Um but I think I think that they're the same, and then they don't have any HQ. No, that's not true. I, I think there is. There's a. I'm trying to think of his name now. He's like a, a big tech priesty guy on a 40 mil base. Um, but yeah, I think I think he's an HQ of some kind. Um, but I, you know, honestly, I felt like a lot of those models for cult mechanics were really goofy. Um, whereas the the just admet trooper guys looked neat. You kind of have these weird bubble robots and like tank robot things for Cult Mechanicus that just didn't resonate with me so well, so uh, I kind of stayed away from them for the most part. Yeah. For our listeners out there, if you've uh, clearly noticed at this point, we have been noobing our way through it, so if you have any type of, like, high-level thought or comments or insults you want to sling our way, please feel free to do so. Yeah. We're, uh... we're by no means experts <laughs> on uh, all things 40K. I, I, I No, not at all. But uh, I know with their specialist games, uh, since we are kind of on a bit of a 40k kick here on this last couple, uh, last little bit that we've been talking. Um, if mm-hmm. you know, I know that they they just mentioned they're doing uh, Death World again, which is their kind of matchbox sized car racing game. It's it's like Mad Max meets Thunderdome. So they just they just or not Death World. Uh, Dark Future, I think, is the name of it. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody out there. I know they just mentioned on Bell of Lost Souls. I just don't have it up in front of me. Um, so they they mentioned that, and then uh, I know that they did state that they were going to be bringing back out Necromunda, and they were going to be bringing back out Mordheim and Blood Bowl. Um, do you know, are they going to do, like, box set stuff for that, or have they said yet? Or are they they, they haven't really said. All they said is we're going to be bringing it back. So. Okay. And out of everything that I really wish that they would bring back is probably Inquisitor. Um, I know I've mentioned it a couple times, probably in the first episode. Inquisitor, back in the day when that first came out, was my game. That that um, the idea of the Inquisition in 40k, the the 40k universe, has always been one of the coolest things that I've seen because I like a lot of the more clandestine, 
you know, we're a ragtag group of people running around trying to solve problems, either with fists or guns or, you know, power armor or just running the hell away. And um, for the longest time, I played Ink 28, which was uh, taking the Inquisitor rules and converting it down to the 28 millimeter, because when Inquisitor first came out, it was in 54 mil, which was impossible to find terrain for. So if they... If they relaunch Inquisitor in the 28mm scale, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I will go balls deep into that, and it, it, it will that will be my game for quite some time. I think that they will reach a whole other uh, group of, of wargamers than what are normally interested in just 40k. You're going to have people who are, you know, mercs and infinity players interested in GW properties again. Um, in a way that they haven't seen in probably half a decade now. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's definitely exciting times. Um, I know this this podcast, we try to focus more on the littler guys like yourself, but we can't really escape the 800-pound gorilla. So Yeah, nobody's out from under the shadow of Games Workshop completely. No. So, yes, they're going to be brought up time and time again. And, you know, <laughs> I, I still play GW products. I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't. Um, but yeah, my interest definitely falls more into the, you know, independent skirmish games. So yeah, I think it's more just a time and, 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 you know, dollars problem is that to stay competitive and to stay, uh, what, I guess in, in the know, you've got to be spending a lot of money, even if you're not buying models and you're just buying code to to stay informed on the rest of the game and what you might come up against. You're spending, you know, probably, you know, fifty, sixty dollars on a codex once a month, once every other month. Um, oh yeah. And I mean that's that's honestly a, a pretty serious commitment for a lot of people. I mean, I guess if you just troll the forums and, and get little tidbits here, but I'd rather know the details of what is go, what, what's going on with other armies. And uh, you know, when I was really hot and heavy into forty k, I was buying every codex. That gets expensive. And of course, there's at least one model in every single release that I'm like, oh, i got to have one of those just to, just to paint it. That'd be fun. So there's that, too. Uh, that gets probably $100 damn dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, Wargaming sneaks up on you quickly. If you are not paying sure. attention to what you're doing, uh, next thing you know, you will be living in a cardboard box, but you'll have plenty of models. So... Yeah. <laughs> Word to all you new yeah. players out there. Budget. <laughs> I thought we were trying to promote the community. <laughs> oh, no, we are. But uh, I also don't want people to be destitute and homeless. So well, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> let's not contribute to the homelessness you know, problem in the U.S. Exactly. We are looking out for you. Skirmish Supremacy is looking out for you, the war gamers. We do not want you to be homeless. There, there's my PSA for the day, damn it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The more you know. Rainbows and shit. But uh, anyway, anyway, Austin, I do appreciate you coming on. Um, I do got to get this wrapped up. But uh, yeah, so again, plug your Kickstarter one more time. Let everybody know where they can go to log on and find it. And give out your your web store address again so that way everybody knows exactly where they're looking. They've been hearing it from me. The new, the new web store address is DeathRayDesigns.com. You can still go to BrushForHire.com, and it'll just redirect you to Death Ray Designs. 
um, at the bottom of the page is a Kickstarter link, or you can click the big Kickstarter banner right in the middle of the page, and it will take you to um, a, a preview page of all the stuff that's going on on the Kickstarter. You can also just go to Kickstarter.com and do a search for Death Ray Designs or Rapid Vanguard or Black Site Deck, and that'll take you, it'll, it'll show up, it'll be the first item uh, in the list if you look for any of those. Um, and, uh, yeah, come, come, come pledge and get some cool terrain, help us fund this project to, to make it possible to get our stuff into stores near you so that you can avoid, you know, shipping time and shipping costs. It's, um, it, it's a win-win. Help us keep prices low and, and competitive and, uh, get some cool stuff while you're doing it. There you go, folks. There it is. Well, Austin, again, thanks for coming on, man. It's always fun talking with you. All right. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. But...